0: So we have our scripture lesson is actually Old Testament, Habakkuk, uh, towards one the, of well, the minor prophets at the end here. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, That bitter and hasty nation who march through the breath of the earth to seize dwellings not their own? They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves.
1: Well, good morning, Redeemer Presbyterian Church. It is good to be with you all. I was supposed to be with you all in October this last year, and I regretfully contacted Pastor Mark just a couple of days before the Lord's Day as me and my wife and son came down with a really bad case of COVID. Uh, And so I was unable to come and be with all of you then. I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters just up the road in Peoria from Grace Presbyterian Church, and hope even this next Sunday to return with greetings from you all. Now, I know the minor prophets don't frequently get time from the pulpit. Uh, This last summer, I taught through a class on the minor prophets, and I found God's Word so encouraging to go through the minor prophets. It was quite the challenge when I did it and planned it because I actually taught through a minor prophet each Sunday in Sunday school for 13 consecutive weeks. And throughout this whole year I found myself continuing to dwell on God's Word to His people in and amongst the suffering that happened as He led them into exile. And so this morning you even heard that in the reading of the Word in Habakkuk as there is this violence and Habakkuk is crying out in a lament to God for the things that are happening around them. And so this morning as we walk through the book of Habakkuk, uh, I'm going to pray for us in a moment. But the book of Habakkuk goes through this dialogue between the prophet and God. There's this series of complaints or laments that Habakkuk gives and then God answering him. And then the book actually ends with a, with a hymn or a psalm that Habakkuk pins, praising God for the things that he is doing. And the things that Habakkuk and God's people are wrestling with during this time is they know that God is holy and just and good. And I believe that, and I hope we all believe that. We can say, Amen, God is holy, just, and good. But what they were wrestling with was seeing evil, unholiness, and injustice in God's world. Why does He allow this evil? Why does He allow this wickedness? Why does it seem like the unrighteous are prospering? We hear these same questions, this anguish that the prophet actually comes to God with, of, oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear me, or cry to you violence and you will not save? We hear this question perhaps in some different ways today. Perhaps you've heard someone say, why do bad things happen to good people? Or perhaps in your own laments, you have felt like God does not hear your prayers. Perhaps you have felt abandoned in a world of brokenness and despair. Or perhaps you feel like the wicked have victory and that God's people are suffering aimlessly. Well, if you felt any of those ways, and I'm sure we can all say we felt that way at some point, God's Word has a message for us this morning as we look at the words of the prophet Habakkuk. God answers the anguish of this prophet, but in a different way than you might think. Because even as we just heard the reading... It's not with words of comfort, but that things are actually going to get worse. That He's actually still going to punish them and lead them into exile. And we know, as Christians, we know that God's justice, as well as His divine wrath against sin, is fully accomplished and applied on the cross of Jesus Christ. But we also still live in a world where we see injustice, where we see brokenness or the way the Westminster Shorter Catechism summarizes it, that we live in a world of sin and misery. And so while we know and we can have confidence in the cross of Jesus Christ, that His divine wrath and judgment and justice have been accomplished, we also know and long for the day that we read of in Revelation, where there is no more tears, death, or suffering. Where justice is finally and completely applied, as our Savior Jesus Christ sits on the bema of judgment seat. And so these words that we have in the book of Habakkuk are an odd sort of comfort for us, church. I hope as we study this morning, you will see this comfort that God's people had as they were being led into exile and as God still gives His people as we await His final justice. So this morning, as we make our way through the passage, I encourage you to keep your Bibles open there in Habakkuk as we walk through. I'll be reading back different portions of the text to us. But really, the the main point as we're looking at this first little section of Habakkuk is that because God is the God of justice, we should respond in three ways. So as we make our way back through the text, here's the three things I'm hoping that we will see together. That we should take our cares to Him, that we should expect justice, and that we should long for His work in our own lives. Let me pray for us, then we'll go to my first point. Our Father God, we thank you for this Lord's Day, that we could come into your house, that we could sing songs of praise, that we could confess our sins, that we can even bring our tithes and offering. Lord, as we read in your word, that all of the gold and all of the silver is yours. Lord, as we come now to uh, the preaching of your word, Lord, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'd be moving in our hearts, that in our union with Christ, Lord, that we would have uh, the desire to put off the things that are sinful and to put on the things that are holy. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we start, if you look back with me at verses 2 through 4, the words of the prophet Habakkuk read, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear, or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous and so justice goes forth perverted. There is an anguish here in the words of the prophet. There is heartbreak. This does not seem like the type of prayer that is, that is said mumbled under breath. This seems like the type of prayer with emotion and passion a heart that is actually crying out to God. And the prophet Habakkuk, he, he ministers in the final days of Judah leading up to the exile by the Babylonians. And here in our passage we, call, we see them called the Chaldeans. And this is because this people, the Chaldeans from Mesopotamia, as they make their way through conquering, become known as the Babylonians after they conquer Babylon. And the reality of being a people awaiting this conquest where God has said it is coming, and we get some vivid pictures in our passage of what this divine judgment is going to look like, is that there's going to be a lot of suffering ahead of this people. There's going to be a lot of death, there's going to be a lot of despair, and nothing in their world is ever going to seem the same as it once was before the exile. We know very little about the prophet Habakkuk, but we see his emotions here. His heartfelt prayer, crying out to God for justice. And this is what is often called lament. And we should be very familiar, if we're familiar with our Bibles, of this category of lament. Most of the Psalms are lament. People crying out to God, casting their cares upon Him. And we see this all throughout the prophets. This mourning that comes. A definition I really like of lament, a pastor friend of mine in St. Louis once said, and I I wrestled with it for a little while, and the more and more I've thought about it, the more I love it. Here's his definition of lament. Lament is taking our cares to God instead of talking behind his back. Lament is taking our cares to God instead of talking behind his back. And when I first heard that definition, I, I didn't particularly like it, because I was wrestling with the piece of, well, when do I talk behind God's back? When do I actually do that? I believe that God is sovereign and that He is everywhere, so when do I talk behind His back? We have a great example in the Old Testament that will help us see that even in ourselves. The grumbling and the complaining of the Israelites. Instead of taking their cares to God, I'm sick of manna. I don't want any more manna. I don't want the things that the Lord has provided for me. They grumble and complain and they talk behind His back instead of coming and casting their cares upon Him. We do this grumbling and complaining in little ways. And what we're seeing here in our passage is that this lament, this taking our cares to Him is because He cares for the things that we care about. This is what the prophet is doing here and this is what we should do too, church. Because we have a God of justice, we should take our cares to Him. Jesus commands in the Gospel of Matthew, Come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lament is taking our cares to God, dropping our heavy burden. Verse Psalm fifty-one seventeen says that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. He wants to hear when our heart is broken when we see the sin and misery that's in our world because He is a God of justice. Our Father wants to hear our cares. Not only does He call for us to give Him our cares, but matter of fact, we know the One who even intercedes for us. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but who understands and who sits on a throne of grace and mercy that we can approach Because Jesus intercedes for us. So not only should the people in the Old Testament have taken their cares to God in lament, but even more so now because we have a better mediator. Jesus, the one high priest, we should take our cares to our God. Lament gives us this opportunity to talk to God about our hearts. And the really wonderful thing when we go to God to talk to Him about our hearts is that it also gives us the opportunity to talk to our hearts about God. This is the pattern we see in laments throughout the whole Testament. Of these reminders. There's only only one lamenting psalm, Psalm 88, that ends in just strictly lament. All of the other laments in Scripture, the person lamenting, the person casting their cares upon God who cares, who is a God of justice, give these reminders of His character. And the one we see again and again most frequently in the Psalms is his Hased, his steadfast and faithful love. So while these things are broken and while they're miserable, I can cry out to you. Why? Because you have been faithful. Because your steadfast love knows no end. And this is what we can do. This is how we actually get to talk to our own hearts as we lament. Because we get to be reminded of who our God is. Of who we're actually casting our cares upon. And this reality of needing to talk to our hearts is because as we know from Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things. Or as Jesus says in Matthew 15, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. These things come out of the heart. And so lament gives us this opportunity. Why we should bring our cares to a God who is perfectly just. It's because it allows for us to talk to God about our heart. And allows for us to talk to our own hearts about who this God is. What we believe He cares about. It allows for our affections to be changed. So this first complaint, the series of complaints, the series of laments that Habakkuk comes with, One of the things that is striking as we if we were to go through word by word really slowly in like a Sunday school together, is that his complaint sees only the sin of others. Like Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, first take the log out of your own eye before taking the speck out of your brother's. Here he is preoccupied with the injustice that he sees being done to the people of God. And so as we see the Lord's response next, we're going to see Him being called to actually see the log in His own eye. The reason that God is actually allowing this injustice to happen. So this leads me to our second point, that we should expect justice because we worship the God of justice. Look back with me at verses 5 to 11. Here's the Lord's response. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They have all come for violence and their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. God is going to do something. And he's telling this prophet Habakkuk as he comes with his first complaint, his first lament for this injustice, that he should expect justice. This depiction here of the Chaldeans being bitter and hasty, taking things that are not their own, thieves that are dreaded and fearsome, their justice comes from themselves. I think if any of us were the prophet Habakkuk at this point, you would be thinking, oh, this work that you say, Lord, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. And then God tells him about what this work is going to be. And Habakkuk is struggling to believe it. This nation that's going to come up to fortresses and laugh, it's going to pile it up like rubble. It's going to just run right over it. It's going to be so violent. They're going to spread like leopards, like eagles. That they're going to take captives like sand. And the main thing that I think really strikes at this, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. We keep reading at the beginning of verse 6, for behold, I, God, am raising up the Chaldeans. God is the one who's raising them up, where they're going to run like leopards, where they're going to fly like eagles, where they're going to laugh at every fortress, even though their God is the own might of their hands. That seems pretty hard to believe. So, why is this happening? Well, Habakkuk's longing for justice in his first complaint is not wrong, he wants justice. And the response he hears from the Lord is clearly not what he was hoping for. For God is going to use a violent and guilty people. Here is how we see it played out today. Because this this log and the speck as Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount, is it so often we can see our own brothers sin more clearly than we see our own. And Habakkuk's crying out for justice. How could this unrighteous people be thriving? Why is God leading His people into exile? They have profaned His Sabbath. They have failed to worship Him alone as God. He's missing God's treasured possession, His people Israel. They're missing seeing their own sin. They're only seeing the sin of this other wicked nation, the Chaldeans. And God's going to raise up like leopards, like eagles to come in and he's going to show his people what his justice looks like. Because it's not just justice for those outside, but also justice for those inside. And I think one of the ways that we often can see this, even in the church, is maybe the little thoughts that we have in our heads of, maybe in an accountability group or a small group, where, well, at least I'm not struggling as bad as they are with that particular sin. Or maybe even looking out at the world, out the window and going, well, you know, hey, they're, they're doing way worse off than I am and not actually relying on God's process of sanctification, becoming more like Christ, but instead going, well, I'm at least doing better. I I, I would hold up better than them. I would look better than them. I'm more of an Israelite than than a Chaldean. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm doing better than that. And so this sense of justice, this log and speck, as we learn in the Servant on the Mount, this justice is going to be God's justice, because he is the God of justice, is going to be for all. So Habakkuk is missing that he still needs God's justice. He is crying out against his enemies that he believes are clearly sinful, and seeing that he's surrounded by injustice, and he's mourning that and telling that to God. He's casting his cares upon God, and there's this reason for God's justice is being poured out. And one day as we read in the other prophets, he's going to take care of the Babylonians and the Assyrians. But at this time, he's raised them up for a particular purpose. And it's to actually discipline his people. This is what we could call God's sustaining grace. God's sustaining grace is not to bar us from all distress and suffering, but that rather, God in his good providence... Allows and permits and even orders the trouble and pain that we endure that there in the darkness he might sustain us. That he might actually call and draw us more to him. So, this is God's description of the spiritual condition of this people about to be in, led into exile, Judah. They have, this is from Jeremiah chapter 6. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not ashamed, for they did not know how to even blush, says the Lord. That's how unaware of their own sin they had become. They didn't even know to blush over their sin. They said, Peace, peace, when there was no peace when there was no justice. C.S. Lewis, in his reflections on the Psalms, puts it this way, that God whispers in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. Because then we go looking for the comfort, for His grace and His mercy. He is teaching His people, as He continues to teach His people, church, as a loving Father, Hebrews 12 verse 6 reads that for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. God tells this prophet with a mighty enemy that they are the instrument of his divine justice and he is the one bringing it against them. And he's not going to believe it. The prophet and God's people are wrestling with the wicked being used by God. And here's the main point, that we should expect God's justice not only in the lives of the wicked, but we should expect His sanctifying justice in our own lives. This leads me to my third and final point, that we should long for this work. Look back with me at just the second half of verse 5. I've already read it several times this morning. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Habakkuk struggles to understand how God can be just. How he could permit such abuses among his own people. And God summons Habakkuk to a life of faith. Trusting that justice will be done even if its timing is unknown. And later on in the book of Habakkuk, he even tells the prophet, I want you to write this down. Things are going to get harder and you're going to need to remember. So I want you to write down your complaints and my responses, because I want you to revisit it in the days that you feel like you don't understand. I want you to be drawn back to my word that you might understand what my justice is, what my comfort is. God is doing this work of sanctifying and purifying. And we see this in the New Covenant as well. And we read about this in the New Testament. First Peter chapter 1 says that in this you rejoice, though now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God is calling for His people to trust Him in circumstances that even seem hopeless to long for His work, even if they won't believe it if they were told. You want to know what God was doing when you were suffering. He was telling a story of His justice and mercy, of His sustaining grace to draw you to Himself. He disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son He receives. This is where oftentimes... I believe Romans 8.28 can get taken out of context. Romans 8.28 reads, As we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. And where I often see that verse misread is, well, all things are going to work out for good. Who's good? We have to keep reading. Verse 29, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. So, what's the purpose that God is going to work all things together for good? That we might be conformed to the image of His Son, His sanctifying work in our lives. So, for Habakkuk and these Judeans about to be led into exile, seeing suffering and wickedness, being taken as captives like sand, easily taken, great numbers, great quantity, what is this purpose that God is going to work it together for good? That they might be conformed to the image of his son. That they might cast their cares upon him. That they might have an awareness of their own sin and his justice against sin. It's calling them to repentance. It's calling them to be conformed to the image of the son. God is doing something in our suffering, he is shouting to us in our pains. He is ordering and permitting trouble and pain that in darkness He might sustain His people. This is why for the, for the Christian we can say that suffering isn't bad. That suffering actually has purpose. That it might conform us. This is one of those great moments where we can talk to our own heart about what God is doing. Because on the days that are hard, on the days where there is suffering, we need to be reminded what God is doing. As he goes on in chapter 2 to command the prophet Habakkuk, write these things down. When it gets harder, you're going to need to remember. And we need the same thing today, church. God is doing something. In Romans 5, we read that not only that, but we can rejoice in our suffering. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and that hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's a confusing thing in the New Testament that we see we're supposed to rejoice at our sufferings. How do we do that? Habakkuk is wonderfully helpful For how do we rejoice in our sufferings? How can we count trials as good as James says? Well, We can count it as good because there is a purpose for it. And through those things of God and His providence and sovereignty is allowing that through that, for His good and for our good, we might be made more into the image of His Son. So, church, we should long for God to do His sanctifying work in our lives. So when the world asks a question like, why do bad things happen to good people? We know the answer. First off, we might say something like, well, there are no good people. John Calvin, the reformer, puts it this way. That we are prompted by our own ills to contemplate the good things of God. In our suffering, we get to contemplate. We get to cast our cares upon the only God who cares. The only one who knows what true justice is. The misery of sin causes us to long for God's work, even when we might be led through the valley of shadow of death. The prophet Habakkuk recognizes the fundamental problem that God is good, holy, and just Yet the world is evil, unholy, and full of injustice. Where the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer. These are the real issues of the world he lives in. These are real issues that we face too, church. And Habakkuk went to God for answers and sees that the problem was bigger than he saw. He's called to have an awareness of his own sin. Why God's even allowing and permitting and raising up nations to lead them into exile. The prophet saw the speck in his neighbor's eye and missed the log in his own. And as the people of God, as those united to Jesus Christ, we know the grace of the gospel and we can trust to follow Him. For we have a good shepherd even when He leads us through the valley of shadow of death. We can say we fear no evil because He is just. Because through trials and through suffering, He has a purpose and that through them He's going to make us more like His Son. We can bring our cares to Him, we can expect His justice, and we can long for His work to be done in our lives. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father, Lord, we thank You that You are the God of justice. Lord, I pray that You would create in us hearts that long for Your justice, that lament the misery and the sin that we see in our world. Lord, that we would even lament the misery and sin that we see in our own hearts. Lord, that for your good purposes, that you would conform us more and more by the power of your Holy Spirit to the image of your Son. Lord, that even this week we would continue to meditate upon the laments of Habakkuk. When we see injustice crying out to you, Lord, that we would have an awareness of the sin in our own lives and lead lives of repentance. Lord, that we would be comforted that you are doing a work, even today, that we might not believe if told, but Lord, we pray that you would help our unbelief, that we would look for the ways that you are working, and rejoice. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.